Good morning. Turn to uh, the book of Matthew chapter 6. We were in Matthew 5 last uh, Sunday, and this morning Matthew 6 as we consider prayer. Two men uh, were talking together, and uh, the first one challenged the other. Hey, if you're so religious, let's hear you quote the Lord's Prayer. I bet you $10 you can't. The second responded, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The first one pulled out his wallet, gave him $10 and said, I didn't think you could do it. (laughs) And we laugh because that's not the Lord's prayer. But we all need to learn more from the Lord about prayer, don't we? We do. And that is why this sermon this morning, a couple of reasons why I wanted to look at prayer uh, together this morning. And one is that no one is as good at prayer as they would like to be. We all want to grow in prayer. Um, The second reason, and and really the timely reason, is that Easter is from today 35 days away, and we as a church are doing a big outreach. We're doing a big outreach. I've got my Easter uh, invite card right here. We're not passing these out yet, and the reason is um, because before we encourage each other and before I challenge our church to invite I want to encourage us to pray first. So, so you know, but Easter's coming up, and it's a big outreach where we're renting the Ligon Auditorium. It seats 1,000 people, and we're hoping to see 450 people there, and we're going to be inviting and praying and serving, and as a church, really, as a team coming together. In fact, for these next few weeks, as we come together on Sundays preparing for that, it might be better to think of ourselves as a team that is going on a mission together, a big outreach together Easter Sunday, and that these sermons are are sort of trainings to prepare for that. I think that would be a good approach uh, these next few Sundays. And so, you know, and there's information about Ligon this morning on the back of your, your insert that you got when you came in. So you can take notes on one side, and then you can learn about this place called Ligon Middle School. It's such a historic gem in the city of Raleigh. And I wanted to share this with you because our church is meeting there on Easter, because it's, it's Black History Month. A lot of reasons I really wanted you to look at this and, and just think about the significance of, of Ligon Middle School. So we looked last week at the why to be salt and light. Why would we seek to do outreach on Easter? Why would we leave our church building? And so we answered that why question, you know, to make a difference for Christ. And now, this Sunday, we recognize it's important to pray. And that is where this passage takes us, because Jesus can help us pray in the right way. Jesus can help us pray his way. In fact, if you were to go from Matthew to Luke, and read the parallel account in the Gospel of Luke of the teaching on the Lord's Prayer. It's actually given in response to the disciples saying to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And then he gives the Lord's Prayer. And so let me just read to you the part that we're looking at this morning, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And this is sort of Jesus' introduction to what we know as the Lord's Prayer. This is his um, encouragement for us in terms of how to approach prayer, how to pray the right way. So Matthew 6, verse 5, here we go. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, help us to pray. God, we come before you as disciples, as um, a family together of faith. And like those disciples in the ministry of you, Lord Jesus, thousands of years ago, when they asked you to teach them to pray, Lord, we, I hope, come this morning with teachable hearts. We know you want us to pray. Will you teach us to pray? Will you help us to grow in prayer? Lord, will you forgive us for prayerlessness? And Lord, let none of us get stuck this morning in guilt, but move forward toward you. A life of prayer, a life of conversation and relationship with you. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. So the right way to pray. Now, please don't hear the title of this message as some sort of, you know, we're going to go around policing everybody. Hey, um, you're not praying right. Um, no, we're not going to do that. And it, it's a risky title because I know there's so much um, discouragement when it comes to prayer and you don't like to pray in front of people and there's, there's things like that, right? And so, however, we don't want to go, we don't want to try to be sensitive to that and go to this extreme of saying there's no right way to pray. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Because Jesus gives a right way to pray here in this passage. In fact, multiple times in this passage, he's like, do not do this. Do not do this. Like he is like, he has a plan for prayer. And so we're seeing that this morning. And the first point is this, pray with the right heart. Pray with the right heart. And that heart is to be seen and rewarded by my heavenly father alone. All right, so that is coming from verses 5 and 6, and we'll read those in a second again. But again, think about it. Jesus assumes we will pray. He says in verse 5, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray. He assumes we will pray, and certainly there are some who do not pray. There are some who do not believe in prayer, but I believe it would be fair to say that Almost everyone has prayed in some form, right? You've maybe heard the old saying, it's a military saying, 
There are no atheists in foxholes. Has anyone heard that saying before? You know, a foxhole where you're being attacked and you're like, life is flashing before your eyes. No atheists in foxholes. And actually, someone did some research on it. Actual research done in an article in 2018, a paper rather, uh, said that servicemen assigned to combat zones are 9% more likely to attend weekly religious services than their counterparts in non-combat zones. They're also 9% more likely to engage in private prayer. Jesus has assigned you to a spiritual combat zone as a follower of Christ. And Jesus knew that he was assigning his disciples in that way. There's no Christian not assigned in that way. And so Jesus knew they needed to know how to pray. And so he gives them these precious instructions on prayer. Now, typically, now again, Jesus is going to be very negative here. He's going to say, don't do this, and don't do this, and do this. Typically, when we're telling someone not to do something, if you think about it, if, you were, if you're telling someone not to do something, why are you doing that? Because they are, what, prone to do it, or they are tempted to do it. Like, don't run the red light. Why do you say that to someone? Because they're about to. Don't eat the entire container of Oreos. Why do you have to say that to someone? Because they might. And so that's what Jesus is doing here in relation to prayer. There is a lot of bad examples of prayer around his disciples in the first century, and it's true for us too. And it's coming from the super religious, the Pharisees, but it's also coming from the Gentiles who are religious in their own way. Prayer and bad habits in prayer are caught as much as they're taught. So again, let's look at verse 5 where Jesus really says what we're talking about here. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They love to stand and pray where it is highly visible to others, up front, at the synagogue, at a street corner. It's interesting that Jesus is literally commanding his disciples, do not be like that. Do not be like the hypocrites. Wouldn't this be just such a perfect verse to share with that friend who says that their biggest problem with church is all the hypocrites. You can say, that's Jesus' biggest problem with the church too. You and Jesus really agree about something. Prayer in the synagogues and on the street corners, though, don't you think that is something that God wants his people to do? Like he wants his synagogues or his churches or his places where the people of faith meet to be a house of prayer, right? And he wants us to pray on the street corners and pray for people in our community So what's the real problem here? They're ruining a good thing with wrong hearts, with wrong motives. Their heart is laid bare in seven words, and they're right here, that they may be seen by others. 
And Jesus says, you, if, that's, if that's your heart, you've received your reward. You want it to be seen by people, you got what you wanted. It, also se- it, it almost seems like Jesus is saying, and that is all you will get. Implying almost that God will not even answer those kind of prayers. Why? Well, they're not directed to him anyways. They've already received their reward. And so before we, you know, get too hard on, say, the Pharisees who would be the type in that day to do this, let's remember that we in our hearts are prone to not have the right heart in prayer sometimes as well. I mean, ask yourself some tough questions because we got to consider how the audience focus impacts us in the things that we do. Do you pray more often and more passionately in public settings because of the audience than you do alone in secret? Or another question to kind of go the other way with it, do you prefer not to pray in public settings? Because of the audience. You see what I mean? Like public prayer and public non-prayer, both of them can be very driven by the wrong heart, an audience focus. And so now having warned against this wrong way to pray, Jesus gives his disciples a strategy in a better way, and that is in verse 6. It says, when you pray, go into your room, Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Literally referring here to an inner room, a private room. Pray to your father who is in secret. He is in. He's there. Go connect with God. Meet him there, in that place, for a conversation. This removes the audience factor. And it's amazing, right? This verse is amazing. It says, your heavenly Father sees in secret. So many Christians at times in our lives, and maybe some of us at this very time in our life, are godless in our private in hidden life, with private sin. And yet publicly we practice righteousness. Lord, forgive us of this great sin that is not just wrong in its practice, but wrong in its belief, its foolish belief that God doesn't see our private world. Verse 6 says, Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And God does forgive us. And God meets us and saves us as what? Sinners. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. So he says, your father will reward, he'll repay, he'll gift you, he'll award you, he'll answer the prayer. Bottom line here is this, pray with the right heart. 
to be seen and rewarded by your heavenly Father alone. Has anyone been bowling before? The most difficult place to be in when you're bowling is the 7-10 split. That's when, for those who don't know, the far back right and the far back left pin are the only ones still standing. So if you've been in that situation, you know, now know, that's the 7-10 split, and you know that that's very difficult. It is in that situation very unlikely that you will hit both pins and knock them over. So you must focus, you must step back, and you must pick one. You want to hit the seven or the ten? And so similarly, I think it's just important to understand that when it comes to people seeing us, being rewarded by the empty praise of man, as we just said, or our heavenly Father seeing us and connecting with him, we just have to choose. You cannot do both. Step back, focus, and aim to pray with the right heart. All right, so the right way to pray, pray with the right heart. And now secondly, from verses 7 through 8, pray with the right words and beliefs. Because once your heart's right, it's time to pray. And prayer involves words, and those words reflect our beliefs. Pray with the right words and beliefs. Specifically, here's, here's some advice for those words and beliefs. Normal and authentic words respectfully addressed to my all-knowing heavenly Father. All right? Normal, not weird. Authentic, not faking it. Words, not just sounds, but words. Respectfully addressed, so not sweet baby Jesus, right? Respectfully addressed to my all-knowing heavenly Father. So, okay, so look at verse 7. And when you pray, again, Jesus assuming his disciples will pray and assuming we will pray. But here, so before the focus was on, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't fall into the self-righteous trap. But here he now is like, you know what? Let's talk about the world. Let's talk about the Gentiles, the secular sort of theory of prayer. And he's like, don't be like them either. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Okay? Meaningless repetition, babble. That's the definition of empty phrases. There's a story in the Old Testament, um, the prophet Elijah. And you can find that story in um, the book of 1 Kings, specifically chapter 18. So the prophet Elijah is at this Mount Carmel and the prophets of the sort of God of the day, Baal, are there. And there are many of these prophets of Baal and there's just Elijah. And so they have this challenge on Mount Carmel. And there is 450 prophets of Baal and there is one prophet of God, Elijah. Okay. And so the challenge is this, each Religion, I guess you could say, gets a bull, and they're going to do a sacrifice. So they build an altar. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they spend all day, literally, this is in 1 Kings 18, they are limping around, so they're like 
limping around their, their bull in a circle. They're crying out. They're cutting themselves, trying to get their God, Baal's, attention. Elijah even makes fun of them. He says, well, you think maybe your God is using the bathroom? It's in the Bible. It's a sense of humor. It's in 1 Kings 18. Elijah, on the other hand, asks that that four jars of water be dumped on top of his bowl. Because the goal is to get the God to to cause the, the sacrifice to light on fire. And the prophets of Baal could not make anything happen. So Elijah says, you know what, um, could, could you guys just pour some water, four jars of water on the bull? And they're like, all right, but that's going to make it not catch on fire. And he's like, right. And then he's like, do it again. And then he's like, do it again, three times. That's 12 jars of water. And then Elijah prays this simple prayer. 1 Kings 18, 36-37. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. I counted it 63 words. I timed it. It takes 20.3 seconds. And God, it says, the fire fell down and consumed the bull and all the water was licked up. And then Elijah went and killed all 450 prophets and dumped them in a valley. It's an amazing passage in the Bible. But anyways, it's just a picture in the Old Testament of what Jesus is talking about. That that the Gentiles, they offer up all these empty phrases. What are they doing? They're trying to trigger God to look at them and do something for them. And he says, Jesus says here now, thousands of years later in the New Testament, they think they will be heard for their many words. But what is their problem? Their God, they believe, is limited in hearing. So they got to get louder. That he's unaware. So they got to limp and dance. That he's distracted. So maybe if they cut themselves, he'll see how urgent it is that he can be impressed and bought. You know what this kind of God sounds like? Sounds like a person. Sounds like me. Sounds like you. And that's exactly the point. Their God is no God at all. Their God is an idol, a false God who's made by them and is made like them in their image. The French philosopher Voltaire says, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. Making God in man's image. And so before we go critiquing the Gentiles and how they are trying to get their God to hear them or their concept of God to hear them by their empty phrases repetitively, let's be honest and admit that a lot of Christians do this too. And it just shows where, you know, we are so influenced by what's around us. Prayer is more caught than taught, and often caught not even from a Christian that we're learning from, but just from the world. Think of examples like 
the Baptist who prays. You know, a Baptist that blesses the food on Sunday after church at lunch in a restaurant, really loud, hoping that his prayer will lead the entire waiting staff to the Lord in Jesus' name, right? What is that? What is that? Why are we talking weird all of a sudden? Or maybe the Pentecostal person who is saying, I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. You know what I mean? Over and over, repetitive. Now, maybe that's real. Maybe someone has a prayer language and God has gifted them with that and we don't want to mock it, but sometimes it's just, it's just noise. It's just you're trying to get God's attention or showing off to others. Or maybe it's the Presbyterian or the Anglican that's like, I pledge allegiance to the Book of Common Prayer and to these creeds I love to read. It's like, it's just like, what's happening? We do this, don't we? And the root problem here is not a problem of babbling prayer technique as it seems on the surface, is it? The root problem, or to put it another way, the problem is a problem of theology. You say, I'm not into theology. Everyone's into theology. We have theology flowing from our fingertips. It just means your beliefs about God. And, and the root problem is our beliefs. And Jesus wants his disciples to know true things about the Father and to really live out their beliefs in a vital prayer relationship with God. This cuts right to the heart of the central message of the entire Bible. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Gentile style prayer reveals a person does not know the gospel or is currently not believing and functioning in faith in the gospel. The God of the Bible, the God of the Bible and of the Christian faith is not hard of hearing, is not unaware of anything, is not impressed with our many words, cannot have his favor curried or his blessing bought. The Christian God is known as Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. And as any good loving Father would desire, our good loving Father is attentive to us and desires to care for us. He doesn't need all the extra drama to get his attention. Dale Bruner, a scholar on Matthew, says, and I quote, many words is not the mediator. Jesus is. And so four quick verses about that, because we need a mediator. We sense this gap between us and God. We sense this, our prayers bouncing off the ceiling, wondering, is he listening? We need that mediator. Isaiah 59, verse 2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And so because of sin, there is a wide gap between us and God. We do need a mediator, but it's not many words. The mediator is Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 says, There is one God, there is one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the go-between between us and the Father. John 1.12, to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you put your faith in Jesus, 
you're not just a Christian, you're a child of God. God is your heavenly Father. That's who Jesus is talking to as he's teaching to pray. He's saying, pray like this, our Father in heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if we are coming through Christ, we can come to the Father, and he hears us. Jesus is the mediator. So the right way to pray, pray with the right words, the right beliefs. Believe in the real God. and Believe you have come to know him as Father by repenting of sin and trusting in his provided mediator, Jesus Christ. And flowing from that firm belief in the gospel, that will be a good starting place for prayer the right way. Last verse, verse 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Think of that. Listen, if verse 8 is true, and I believe it is, Jesus is giving it to us. And God really truly does know what we need. Then, listen, follow this. Then he still wants us to talk to him and pray about all of our needs. So there must be some reason other than his discovering of our needs that he is telling us to pray. God wants to talk to you. He wants to hear from you, his child, through Jesus Christ. The goal of prayer is my relationship with God. Therefore, having this right belief, I am free from needing to try to impress God or get God's attention with repetitive or many words. I am free to just pray with normal and authentic words, respectfully addressed, to my all-knowing Heavenly Father. And so as far as just closing this out, and some big takeaways I want to encourage you with quickly. One is this. Much of what we see about prayer is wrong, right? It is. Jesus is so helpful here. Another thing I want to point out, and I think this this passage sort of brings this before us, Jesus wants us to know that our Heavenly Father is eager and wanting to authentically connect with us. He's not annoyed with us. He's not disappointed in our lack of prayer. He's not saying, get it together with the Bible reading, then let's meet. He is none of those things. His smile is upon those who are in his son. And third, in Christ and by faith in Christ, you can know that you are seen, that you are heard, and that you are known by God. And so the right way to pray with the right heart, with the right words and beliefs, And so let me now close with this. We started with the wrong Lord's Prayer today. So now we should listen to what Jesus says next. 
because we're going to close with that, the Lord's model prayer, which starts in the next verse, verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.